everyone. Welcome to another episode of OTT, where we discuss everything related from fashion, pop culture, and well, really, whatever I want. Today, you're joined by two young, gifted Black designers, okay? And Black does not crack, so they are looking like snacks. If you saw this Zoom call right now, it is like Destiny's Second Cousins. Saul <laughs> Nash the 2018 RCA graduate and was currently on the roster of London's fashionese. He is the resident king of choreography and sportswear couture. And we have our Cayman king, Jawara Aline. Before the world closed, Aline debuted his stunning Central St. Martin's MA menswear collection entitled Self Made Man, a beautiful exploration of identity that had some tops that I'm gonna need to buy out of quarantine. And we're gonna get into some things today and we'll be discussing their work reading the room and how coronavirus has affected them and their practice. Now, would you like to introduce yourself to the girls, my loves? Hi, I'm Saul Nash, and I'm a menswear designer from London. So I'm a menswear designer. Hey, I'm Jawara, and I'm a menswear designer from the Caribbean. But I live in London and I work in London. And they are working the room right now, and they are working the London scene. First of all, thank you guys so much for doing this for me. I am so appreciative of you both. And we are going to get into some things today. But I think, of course, as we know, it is very important to read the room. So I have to do my civic duty as well. And this is a reminder, as you're listening to this podcast, that we are still in the middle of a civil rights movement. So please keep signing petitions, opening your purse, and donating where you can. And this is a reminder that all Black Lives Matter, so that needs to be in your mind at all times. And just because your feed is going back to normal, it does not mean we're living in a utopia. Now, first of all, girls, let us give ourselves a round of applause for making it through June. Because let me tell you something, 2020 has been ghetto, but June <laughs> a travesty. So first of all, how has the past month of grossness, civil unrest been for you two? Do you want to go fast, Jawara? The past month has been turmoil, to be honest. It's been a lot of, a lot of, but better than the month before, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you, as you go through this experience that we're going through as Black people, you sort of, in the beginning, like, I was getting a lot, uh, like really down on myself. And, but then you, you start to remember that this experience is nothing new. Like all the stuff that we're seeing, I've I, I've known that this stuff has been happening before. So I think the past month have been a little bit better in in not allowing the reality of the world that we live in to really bear down on me, mm-hmm. and to be able to keep going despite everything that's going on. And I think it's it's about finding that that balance between the reality that we live in and the world that we're striving for. I think at the beginning it was a lot of of reminders of what's actually going on because. A part of the experience of being a black person living in today's world is that there's a lot that you have to bury. But and at the beginning of Corona, even before all the shootings that we were seeing, it was a reminder as well that black people are really at risk in general. Just living in this world is a difficult experience. But as you go through, you re- you remember that oh wait, actually yeah, this is not anything new. Like this is something that I've I've known. So. The past month, I think, have been better than the month before in being able to deal with the reality of the situation that we're in. And what about you, Saul? I just think that with all the heaviness that's already been happening from COVID, because I think that was quite a shock to the system. And whilst I'm generally a really positive person, I always believe in moving forward and trying to drive things. I think what happened in June, it kind of... it, it 
it was so it was so saddening and I was really upset at first and I felt like a part of anguish because it was almost like wow like shit it took this to actually make people realize what's actually been going on all this time and then there was a sign of positivity because I was thinking wow maybe there's actually going to be a spark of change and you know I really hope that this will make people reflect on the way that things have been going and start to really think about ways to change it. Like, it. It was almost like people were finally listening to what had been said all of this time. I guess like moving forward, it would be really interesting to see how people keep the same energy because the trauma was really there in June, you know. I think what was going on in the States, it only highlighted a problem that's been going on for a long time throughout the whole world. and. Mm -hmm the very fact that our society is based on that, that racism that, that we witnessed, it, it happens in different scales. And I think that what, what happened in the US calls for different people to reflect on their companies. You know, I think there's not enough representation in workplaces. There's, like I could go on for days about this. I think, you know, I also started to reflect on my journey as a black person and the fact that, you know, you have to bend over backwards and work extremely hard to get to where you want to go. It don't just come. Like you have to really, really put a lot on the line, take a lot of risks. And it was, it was very heavy. I think I was even shedding tears on the day when, you know, it all came to fruition because I was like, damn, wow. Why does it take this to kind of finally break the camel's back? And mm. I mean, <laughs> All we can do now is stay hopeful and optimistic that, you know, there will be progress and change. And I, I'm also in a space now where I don't feel afraid to call out people if I see some kind of fake performativity because I'm kind of done seeing that. It's time to see people kind of fix up. And even if you don't understand things, ask questions so you can get in the know and learn how to change. It's not enough anymore to like, have a black friend or it's time to actually want to change things. I completely agree with you both. And I think especially with obviously the plague and as you both have said, we're black. We, we, we know what's going on. We've been known it. And I think it's this whole idea that because we've all been stuck in the house, especially and the whole kind of world has, there's nowhere else to kind of turn your attention. Right. But this. So I think on a positive, you know, cause I think now, now we're at a point where I think, we, we have no more tears left to cry. If you check our mm -hmm. tear ducts, like, mm -hmm. they're you know, out. People at least now are listening and yeah. they are somewhat starting to learn how to read the room. And I think as Black people, we all, in our own different kind of way, we've had to either really, again, as you were saying before, saw the way that we bend over backwards, the way that we have put up with relationships where we are our full selves because we're trying to accommodate people all the time, kind of, kind of reach a threshold where it's, you know, I can't do this anymore. And you know what, now there are certain things we will not accept. And back to kind of what you were saying about performativity, I was very, my heart hurt the other day because I realized that after those black squares were posted, systemic racism wasn't dismantled. Um, <laughs> still here. I was just, you know, it's still here. I was just curious, because both of you have brands, right? I was quite curious for you to know how it has felt for you guys to watch brands take on this role of like social activism because some i think of course you know of course it's not you know right to always be so pessimistic you know obviously some do care 
but some have been like a middle school play with the performance, like a Midsummer's Night Dream with the performance, with the performativity. The girls are shocking and jiving pot de bourrang across the stage. You know, Netflix being like, Black Lives Matter, well, did you pay Monique? Yeah. You know, thank, thank God it worked out for, mm-hmm. for Monroe, not L'Oreal, for Monroe in the end. Mm-hmm. But to really watch people, like it took, it took you all of this. I'm just quite curious what you guys thought about that before we move on. Mm. There's a there's a lot there's a lot to think about every everything that's going on there's a lot mm-hmm. of thoughts um, to be honest I think it's it's quite disgusting to see the the clarity in in just the fact that we're still after all of this we're still just a marketing tactic mm-hmm. still Black Lives Matter only because we're getting money from Black people it's it's really sad and it's really sickening to see and i think for me personally i think this time is about and this is how i felt like going into um lockdown and going into the onslaught that was corona, the coronavirus crisis mm-hmm. that we really have to start reevaluating our value systems and reevaluating stuff like how we spend our money the way that we move throughout the world in general we have to stop being passive and start being more active participators because the, the purpose of marketing is that it stands there so that you don't have to think about anything that you just you just passively just move through life things just come at you amazon tells you what you want you order it and you actually want it you know so i think that going into coronavirus i was already thinking like it's a time to reevaluate the way that we move through this world. And then the video started coming out and the attention started happening, started being surrounded about actually what's the reality of what's still happening in, in America. And then it really hit you like, shit, we really have to start reevaluating the way that we move through this world. Because it's, it's no longer okay to ignore the realities of the situation that we're in. It's no longer possible to ignore the realities of the situation that we're in. And seeing all of these brands just using us as a marketing tactic, just it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't need you anymore. Because the, the thing about the, the consumerist society is that there's always competition. And there's always a way to not spend money with a company that you know does not value your life. There's so much competition. So I think for me, it's been interesting to, to see the performativity and to understand, okay, this is this company's standpoint in the way that it's dealing with the situation that's happening to me and the people who look like me. And seeing that clarity just, just, just tells me, okay, I don't need to shop with these people anymore. You're canceled. And I, I just move on to something else. And it's, it's really difficult in, in the situation of, okay, these, these companies, this is what their belief system is. And calling them out sometimes doesn't even do anything. But it's about personal value. It's about understanding where my values lie and how I see myself moving forward and creating this, the, that societal space that has a value system that's honest. I, yeah, I think that b- because of the society we live in or the nature that we've kind of adopted of always presenting or creating a facade for, for who we are or what we stand for as brands, this is often the case with big brands, you know, is in order to tell a story, they use marketing or, and this is ever more available when you have things like Instagram, where you can do things to avoid trouble or you can publicly present something that you know everybody's going to see within seconds. It's kind of, it's kind of instant. And I think, unfortunately, even if some brands have the best of intention, right now, 
you're all going to be under scrutiny until you act actively show people that what you're saying you're going to do is is actually what you plan to put into right. fruition. Right. I think that right now people people will jump on the wave, but when you jump on the wave, you need to consider what you're committing to. Because if uh -huh. people don't see that you're actively jumping on the wave to promote change, you're going to get fire later on down the line. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and then also there's the look at what fashion is, as for say, in the sense of commerce, capitalism, the monetary value. When you think about what everything was post-COVID, often was about making money. COVID was the time of like slowing down and you had no option but to slow down. Mm -hmm. And you were probably wor worrying how you're going to save your money. So we were thinking, okay, maybe everything is going to slow down. Everything's going to change. And I think that some of these kind of behavior patterns of the way people jump on things to save their black customer base from leaving them mm -hmm. um, is, is very interesting how, you know, this idea of commerce is not really going to leave us. It's pretty much ingrained within the DNA of, of who we're becoming as a society. So I think, I, I feel like, you know, even if brands have the most genuine of honest mm -hmm. intention, they have to also be aware that if you don't empathize and actively go out there and put change in the communities that you're trying to appeal to, the internet is just, it's just a facade for you to kind of present like you're doing something. The, the question is, if you're going to actually, behind the scenes, reanalyze the structures of your company, because in the end, we're not like a charity that you just donate to. Right. Where people with needs... <clears throat> You know, I think it's often easy to kind of, from afar, look at something and say it needs something. But if you're not actively willing to go into that thing and understand what it is, then it's kind of pointless just firing money at the problem. You have to kind of understand what the problem actually is. Right. I feel also, like, sorry, you, go on. It, all companies are a part of the problem. This The system has been set up in a way that even if you are not a racist company and if you have the best of intentions the way that the system is set up you you have to actively work against it mm -hmm. if you just say okay this come my company is fine but i'm gonna donate to, an, to a charity that's not the way that it works you have to actively in your own personal way of, of working in your own personal way of organizing your business structure you have to actively fight against racism because the system that we exist in is racist and it's nothing to do with you it's just it's to do with history is to do with the people who are in charge um it's to do with the people who make laws and until you understand that it's it's not about it we're not saying that you are racist we're saying that the system and the way that it's set up it's been built in a way that black people are always on the bottom and and, and until you actively work for that to not be a reality then you're a part of the problem period and yeah it's like the one to kind of because it's good to give people help. And I think when you give people help, you help them to go to the next level. But I think if you don't equip people with the tools to be able to survive in your world or industry that, that is there, then you're just giving them the tools and leaving them astray. So I think it's right. really good that people are given to charity. But the question is what you plan to do long term to mm -hmm. ensure that there's a shift in the landscape. Mm -hmm. It is all good companies want to give and it's fine, but I just think that um, it, it, it needs to also be um, followed up with actions. Yeah, I think, it, I think 
we have to remember that it's a, this is not a short-term fix and this is not a short-term problem. This is a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, where we are today is because of where we've been since we've existed. We, this is not going to change in a year. This mm-hmm. is not going to change with your one little donation of however many millions because this is years and years and years and years and decades and years upon years and years and years. I think like funding, if it's given to kind of um, help to educate, because right now Mm -hmm. knowledge is very key. I think Mm -hmm. knowledge lives on way beyond the finance because knowledge can be passed on and shared and through people educating themselves and opening up their mind to what they're willing to do. I think then financial short-term fixes, they kind of won't be needed because the industry itself will start to make sure that people are able to make the money they need to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. It's always charitable or giving, but I think people have to empower. People mm-hmm. have to be empowered to make that money themselves at some yeah. point. Great off. No, thank you. No, off. No, it's a, no, but it's important. I think what you guys are saying, it's very easy to, you know, throw a check at someone, mm-hmm. but it takes much more time and consideration to you know, mentor someone, give them money towards their own work, really take the time to educate your own self. Those kind of quick, and I think that's what we've been seeing, but I think that's going to be the real kind of test of who really is about that life and who is just doing the slacktivism and just kind of post posting the same story that you could have posted in a group chat because you, because you want to let people know that you're you're learning quote quote if you can see my quotes mm-hmm. on, over the um, speaker. <laughs> it feels like you know when you're in a relationship, person wants to prove to you that they're trying. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's I watched that movie, but you just read the spark notes, girl. Bye. <laughs> yeah. You read the Wikipedia, and now look not clearly look goofy. Yeah. Thank you guys. Now that we have read the room, let's get into the fun stuff because <laughs> you girls are so talented, so young, so gifted. Let's get into the real black change, the real black excellence. I'm going to start with you, Saul. Now, Saul, you can do one thing that I always wish I could, which is dance. And an incredible choreographer. If you haven't seen Vogatalia's Extreme Beauty, you know that's where the doll did what needed to be done. For you, how did you get into dance? And who were some of your kind of dance icons growing up? So I've been dancing like since I can remember. Dancing started more cultural for me because my family's Caribbean and music was always in our home. I think I started taking dance more seriously when I was a teenager. I had a dance teacher who, at the time, men didn't really want to dance contemporary dance in my school because it was kind of seen as a girly thing to do. And I think it took a lot of us to kind of be brave and be like, you know what, we want to do dance. So at the time, me and my, my close friend, we, we studied, started studying GCSE dance. But where it really took off was when I joined a dance company. So I joined a dance company when I was... 18 and this dance company was fusing contemporary dance with hip-hop dance so i was performing a lot amongst hip-hop dance companies like at the place in king's cross um and saddler's wells and these these kind of platforms and i think it kind of really opened my mind to movement so whilst i didn't ever formally kind of go to a dance school during my time at st martin's when i studied performance i kept it up the dance and it's kind of become a part of my life. If I don't dance every day, I'm annoyed. I have to dance. It's part of who I am. And my inspirations, I, I guess, it's, it's more the people I've kind of come into contact with throughout my life. My choreographer, Tony Adegan, at the time, he was really 
influential for me because he was always about going against the grain and kind of challenging yourself. And I think that was something I really needed at the time when, when I had met him. Oh, I love that. So when you did performance practice design at, Saint, yeah. at Saint Mar- Central St. Martins, how did you find it? For me, it was really positive. I, I guess I finished it not complete because in terms of where fashion comes into my life, it came in more through my undying interest of clothes growing up. I was always interested in clothes. I was always sewing. I was always doing stuff. But performance design and practice had a costume pathway in it. But I never, ever felt I was making costumes for the theatre. I was making costumes that were always about creating an identity or telling a story which I felt should live beyond the performance space. And I think that's where I loved performance because you could do anything as long as you told a story. So I'd often do dance, I would do set design, it was about creating a world and that's what I really found exciting. But then I kind of, towards the end, soon saw how that could then translate into fashion and creating a brand because it's all about creating a world and telling the story you want to tell. And I guess it wasn't until I went to my MA in like menswear and doing fashion where I saw how my background in performance could really influence the world I wanted to tell through my own narrative or my own lens. I think in performance, I found often it was quite loaded with like philosophy and ideas from French philosophers, which I, I pay respect to them. But I felt like it was only in clothing and identifying where I come from and how what clothing means in the place I come from that it really started to make sense. My, my narrative in performance it, in the greater landscape of the work I wanted to create, because I think in performance, it, it was nice, but it, it never resonated truly with the story I wanted to tell. It wasn't until I went to fashion, it was like, wow, this is, this is the story I'm telling. And it's very authentic to me and where I come from, but if that makes sense. Girl, it makes all the sense. And, you know, we're going to get into the world that you create in a minute. But going from that transition from St. Martin's to RCA, how did you find it and how did you find the MA? For me, the MA was amazing because it was all about what well, the, the biggest question they would ask is, what are you about? And I think that that was really key because when I first started the MA, I knew like my manifesto was about fusing performance with, with fashion. That was the, the base of the manifesto. But I think it wasn't until you being exposed to activewear or being exposed to how what performance meant in the context of sportswear or of creating garments for function, which, which kind of revolved around movement. Um, it wasn't until I did the various projects there where I, I was kind of exposed to like a new world and the different possibilities of where I could take the garments. Because in terms of aesthetic, I always was always there, this kind of aesthetic I wanted to create. But kind of placing it into a context, like the RCA really enabled me to do that because it was like, wow, I wear sportswear or I've worn sportswear the whole of my life. And it's, it, it was really good to be able to put my work into a sphere which I could relate to. So I, I, was, I would never say a bad word about the RCA. Um, apart from sometimes we were overthinking too much. But apart from that, I just... It really shaped me as a designer. No, amazing. Girl, we're not, we're not, we're not asking for tea. We're asking for the truth. Um. Right. I, yeah, there's no tea. 
No, but, no, but that's what I'm saying. I know, I know everyone thinks I'm so messy. That's not what I'm always about. My God. I'm trying to inspire the youth. You guys are so annoying. But going back to when you were talking before about really having that idea of the world that you wanted to create with your brand now, that's what we see. It's a world. It is a full, you're giving us functionality, you're giving us luck. It's a whole mood. It's an aesthetic. And right now, the graduates are... I think especially they've been struggling trying to figure out how they're going to do, translate their work in new and different ways. But you've been done, did it. And you know, every time you do a show, it's a whole performance. It's a whole experience that's really exciting. And I'm curious for you, obviously you are a dancer, you are a designer, and you know that you're going to do a presentation in some form. How early on do you kind of know how you want to present your work as you're making a collection? I guess it's always about the story. Often the story I want to tell is often about self-liberation and kind of freeing yourself of these kind of ideologies of men. Mm -hmm. It it also talks about what I've been through or, you know, um, or how the people around me relate to the story I'm telling. So I think it, it, it also can relate to something as simple as a detail. Like, what do I want that detail to do? And through the detail doing what I want it to do, is it going to tell the story that I want it to tell? So I guess often it can be metaphoric. The idea of something opening could be a metaphor for where I take the design process. It's quite, sometimes the performance can come to me right from the beginning because that's the intention I want the garments to have from the get-go. And sometimes it comes to me through exploring the way the garment will do this thing for a long time. And then the story that can come out of that often is linked to this idea of men working together or kind of uplifting or building one another. And we love to see that. We love to see it. Yeah. So you've also joined Le Fashion East, helmed by lovely Le Lulu Kennedy. How has it been working with them? It's been amazing. I, I think they really came at a crucial time in my work and my career. Um, you know, they're, they're very supportive and it's, it's just very nice to have people that you can, you can message and, you know, ask questions or, and, you know, I feel like they generally have become friends because it's very, um, they're, they genuinely support you when they say they're going to support you, they genuinely help you. So I think I'm super grateful to them. I don't think I know that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's been very, very nice working with them. I'm quite humbled to, for the experience I've had. And you've killed it, girl. <laughs> and now Miss Jawara, Jawara, Jawara. You know, you both are actually very lucky because right before the world closed, you were able to show. And Jawara, Jawara, your MA collection. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I, I levitated. It was, you know, clothes that you would see at weddings, at funerals. <laughs> Wedding funerals, graduations. Giving oh. us, but wow, what a moment. Can you talk us through it? Because it was a moment that was most pleasing to me. You gave us, you gave us headwear, the top that I really want. Well, there are two tops, but because you listened to me. Um, <laughs> that crochet top, that scoop, scoop uh, yeah. right down past the tip. And that little black, sexy little lace, little moment that was giving us Charlotte's web, but giving us sexy <laughs> little hat with the fur and the feathers. It was a moment most pleasing to me and to anyone else with eyes. <laughs> Can you walk us through your amazing, fantastical collection? So my 
people always, whenever I get asked about my collection, I always have to start about just where my work comes from in general. So my work is a lot about identity. And I can remember being in the Cayman Islands and this, this question of identity has always been on the top of my mind. Ever since I was in Jamaica, then I moved to Cayman and moving to London, the question of identity, because I was doing fashion from ever since I can remember. And the question of identity was always there. I remember once when I was driving in my friend's car, going home, listening to... This was when Nicki Minaj's Pink Print had just come out and we were listening to the full album in her car. And I was thinking, who am I? That's what I was listening that, That's what I was thinking, listening to Nicki Minaj's Pink Print. Um, so this question was always there about identity. And when I, started at, when I started the MA, I was really excavating my existential history because coming from, from the Caribbean, there's so much about our history that we don't know because it's either erased or not taught to us, so you really have to search for it. So I was starting the MA, I was really searching and building this, this research of the existential history of me as a person being from Jamaica and the Cayman Islands and just being from the Caribbean in general, because once you're from one island of the Caribbean, your history is so intertwined with everything else that happens within the region. And also in any one country, you see so much. So coming from those two places gave me a really rich cultural insight into identity because I was, I was in communities with Jamaicans, with Cubans, with Hondurans or Hondurans, Nicaraguans, Caymanians. So I was seeing so much culture and seeing so much performance of identity. So that always stuck with me. So once I started, I was trying to figure out who I was. And um, that led into the importance of characters that, that kind of formed a sort of attachment to my psyche because I was really into like sci-fi and cartoons and, and stuff. So that space of culture, of media, sci-fi, cartoons, movies, film, it had sort of a relevance to the experience that I was living growing up in that space. As different as it was, there were so many similarities. So that was really kind of prevalent and really strong for me. So I, I took that over as well. And kind of, I was just looking at all of these different references and seeing where it takes me. But my, my broader research in general is looking at masculinity as well and seeing how from my background and from the things that I've seen, what's relevant to actually what's happening within the space of masculinity and menswear now? Where have we been for the past 10, 20 years? And where does menswear need to go? Because I feel like in fashion in general and in menswear, we've been stagnant for a really long time. So it was looking at the, the interplay between my interests, my backgrounds, the things that I saw culturally and making a connection between where the performance of identity and menswear is now and seeing how we can take that forward. So self-made man. Self-made man. And you have this one quote that you gave to ID. You didn't give it to me, but it's fine. But I love, <laughs> I just want to read it to you because I really just had me thinking, like as you were uh-huh. saying that, you said, again, I realized that identity isn't something that you find or arrive at. It is something that constant that's constantly mm-hmm. in the works, something you create yourself. That kind of idea of, you think you have your identity one minute and then like, you know, you look over it. Nope, that ain't me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I really was really interested in that. And what was your, growing up in the Caribbean, what was your relationship to masculinity? And obviously how has that kind of changed as you've been in London for so many years? Well, first of all, I have to say in relation to the core, it's like, it's that in relation to identity, I feel like you're, we're always building and we're always changing and growing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not growing, then there's something wrong. And seeing the way that I've progressed through my life, coming from the different spaces that I was in in Jamaica, moving through 
so many different economic spaces in Jamaica than moving to the Cayman Islands and moving through so many different economic spaces in the Cayman Islands and then moving to London. It kind of really showed, gave me the understanding of, of the fact that life is a constant search. It's a constant progression. You're, you're constantly moving towards something. And when it comes to identity and the ego, it's the biggest part of who we are as people. And whether you think you're, whether you think you are or not, your ego plays a huge part in the way that you think about yourself, because you, you always think about yourself in relation to the world around you. Oh, you know, how did you find the experience on the MA? It was intense. Mm -hmm. It was tough, to be honest, but I wouldn't change it for the world. When I, when I left the BA, um, I did my BA at LCF. I studied fashion design and marketing. I decided that that experience was great. I, I think I took a lot from that, but I was not ready yet for performing. And I knew that from, from what I got by the end of the time that I was there, I was like, I'm not ready. I need to progress a little bit more. I need to learn more. I need to do more. So I decided to take some time off and I was working on the agency at the time with Campbell. And just I was just so interested in, in just learning as much as I could before I launched myself into the, the unforgiving fashion world. So I decided to take some time off. And when I decided to go to do the MA, my purpose for doing the MA because I, it was because I needed time. That was the most important thing for me. And I think I made that quite clear in my interview that the reason why I'm coming here is because if I was not studying, I would always have to work at the same time. And even though I was, while I was studying, I was actually still working, but I needed that time to just focus and figure out how I could create what I wanted to create within the space and time of what I had in front of me. So the MA was really about that. My experience on the MA was quite introspective for the entire duration of the whole thing, despite the stuff that happened. I was kicked out at one point, like finalized for so many different things and nothing really happened. But I just needed that time to reflect on what was possible within the space that I was and with what I had. So in general, it was amazing to be able to do that, to have people around you who you could bounce off of, people around you who were just as hardworking or sometimes even more hardworking than you were, so much more dedicated and worked in different ways because everyone, and the thing that I valued about being on the MA is that every single person that was in my class has such a really different way of working and it really solidified the importance of you figuring out yourself. You're not there for the school. You're not there for anybody else. You are there to figure out yourself. And looking around the room, seeing all of these different people doing all of these different things and working in so many different ways, it just reminded you that, yo, you are here to do you. You're here to get to the next stage of where you need to be and don't watch anybody else. So it was, it was in most parts, it was a quite a positive experience. And Having left the, the MA now and, and moving on to the actual real game, which is how do you survive in a world that is so cutthroat, it's nice to have gone through that because I never make a decision now without asking somebody that I met on the MA. I never, I never progress without saying to my to friends like Fabs or Cecile or whoever, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Because the good thing about being on the MA is that you, you meet so many different people who have probably done so many of the things that you are going to do and vice versa. So you always have someone who you can ask for their opinion, ask what they think about this and that because they've done it before. So in general, it was quite a positive experience. My King, you are so wise. Dropping these gems, giving us these Ayana <laughs> moments, giving us those Oprah ahas. <laughs> I know before, I have one question. It's a personal question. Uh-huh. But you know, you have to go there. Obviously, I'm, before you went to the MA, you worked for Peter Piloto. Yeah. And there's one lady who 
queen of the insects who happens to live. <laughs> Miss, <laughs> your time doing the on the run, the on the run suits. Just uh-huh. how was that? That was actually amazing, to be honest. Yeah, um, I was so I, when I was working at Peter Pilato, I was managing the studio, and that meant that I was pretty much involved in whatever special projects came through. I was the person that would organize getting this thing done. Uh, the physicalities of how do you figure it out. Um, working with a team of pattern cutters, sample, sample development, um, designers, etc. But it, but my job was to facilitate and to ensure that that thing that we need to do gets done. So I was kind of really heavily involved in um, the on-the-run Swarovski look that we did. That was quite an amazing experience to just figure it out because I loved working at Peter Pilato because they did so many different projects alongside everything else that was going on. And the good thing was that amongst just your normal job, you had to figure out this extra thing, which almost could just be its own thing on its own. But you had to do that in combination with everything else that we had to do. So it was really... But I worked there. I worked at that company for like six years. So by the time that that happened, I'd already known how to deal with it right a few months before that or maybe it was a few months after we were doing the the dress for princess eugenie so it was we've had clients like this before where you had to manage this high scale project amongst everything else but that particular suit it was extremely extremely difficult to do i do have to say the amount of time that went into that it was insane it was it was a good thing it was it was great to do and i'm happy that i was actually there because that was right before i left that looked good and, and I want to ask, you love, listen, from the agency to being a studio manager, to doing this, to doing that, you love to have your hand in so many different baskets. Yeah. Now that you've graduated, moving forward, is that kind of where you want to go in terms of keeping everything open all the time? Sort of, in a sense, yeah. My thing is, before I wanted to be a designer, I wanted to be an artist. And that just meant being able to have an idea in my head and explore the idea. And I think that's, that's what I'm still trying to do, even with fashion. It's like, okay, you have an idea, you have a perspective, you see the things that are happening in the world. How do you explore and express this in as many different ways as possible? And I think that's one of the things I like about fashion is that fashion is the one industry that has a touch point for pretty much every single other industry that exists in this world. We have a touch point for for art, we have to point for finance, marketing, um, uh, economics, pretty much everything that's out there, fashion has a hand in it. So I like being involved in fashion because it means that you do not have to limit yourself. The options are there. If you can think it, you can create your reality. And I don't know, I, I like, but also I work a lot with culture. And I think for me, culture is really important in the output that I that my work has is not just about making clothes. It's about producing something that has a cultural value, not just a monetary value. And I'm really intrigued to see how many different ways I can explore these ideas around masculinity and the progression of value systems and the progression of people. I, I just want to see how many different ways I can I can explore and express and see what I can do within within that space of, of creativity. Oh, I know you're going to be versed with it. I'm just curious for both of you. How do you think fashion is going to move forward? Because listen, we have never. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm 21. I've never lived through a plague. <laughs> how do you guys think that fashion is going to change moving forward from this? I'm not sure. It's it's really difficult because. At the beginning of coronavirus, I thought, okay, we're on a a good kind of run. Everyone's really 
being awoken to the reality of, of stuff that's happening in the world, but now being on the sort of other end of coronavirus, kind of coming out and going back into the real world. The things that I fear are kind of happening where, because so many companies have had such loss in the past few months, that the only thing that's important to them is getting back on track with, with sales. And the only thing that's important is getting back on track with, with financially getting what they usually get. And that's just not possible. In order for change to happen, these companies are going to have to incur loss. And that's not something that they're willing to, to grapple with. Um, so it's really difficult to say what's going to happen within the space of fashion. We could move into a space where value systems are really challenged and people really start caring about how they spend or things could literally go back to how they were before where we're in this model of, of the hype and the next and the new and we don't really value the things that we buy anymore because it's just you buy for the week or you buy for the month and then you move on to the next thing. So I think we're still in this time where anything is still possible. And it's really hard to say. What about you, Saul? What do you think? I mean, that's like a question I've had for myself because fashion is quite seasonal. If we talk about the luxury model, you know, things happen in seasons. But what's interesting is like you start to see a lot of bigger houses not show or, you know, start to kind of pare back their finances because you, when you're a small brand like myself or Juara, you don't really have a huge team. So... Mm-hmm. When these kind of things happen, you can probably create plans or structures in ways that bigger companies wouldn't be able to do. Right, but right. But I think that for every small designer, there's also a huge fashion house. And when you analyze like what fashion has been set up to do in itself, often it's to make money. So mm-hmm. as optimistic as like I kind of feel about change, I've seen like a lot of talk about slowing down. But then I've seen the complete opposite, you know, like people saying let's slow down, but their actions aren't telling you to really slow down. So I feel like people are not willing to kind of compromise the check in order to see a new way of visualizing things. And I think that it will be it will be amazing to kind of see a shift or change in the way things are done. But I think also like if you look at for me personally, the essence of clothing is to be able to touch them and to hold them. So as far as we go into the digital realm, people still have to buy and wear these clothes. So they're going to want to be able to feel what they look like. And I guess it then goes back to sustainability and quality because when we talk about sustainability, it's not only a question of, you know, how the world is going to survive post-global warming. We're also talking about how sustainable like business models are and how right. how sustainable they are at generating revenue in an ethical way. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting because obviously COVID has slowed things down for a little while, but I think it's a bit uncertain to see right now how things are going to be back up and running because there's still a need to exist. And yeah. in order to exist, people are showing in whatever means they can. You know, Right, yeah. But yeah. Sorry. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot actually the business model because the biz the the general structure of the business model is the the business model exists to figure out how best to make money and that's just how businesses work but in order to move forward with change that cannot be the way that you move forward like making money has to come second and change has to come first 
otherwise we'll keep going in the same direction that we've always been going in and the same direction that we've noticed and noted to be a problem. But that's just the problem with, with business is that business structures are set up in a way to ensure that you profit at the end of the month, that you that next month you make more than you made last month. And it's a lot to say, yeah, we're going to try to not continue going in the cycle and the importance of not continuing to go in the cycle. But I think it, all, all that is just words. If the actual meaning of a business structure doesn't change, if the, the actual meaning of a business model and what it means to be a business within the space of society doesn't change. For me, because I studied, I did business before I studied fashion. I did a degree in business. And what to me was really important was that you had a, a team that was dedicated to creating sort of like corporate social responsibility. But I always just thought that this just should be a part of the way that your business works, that you were supposed to be socially responsible because you're creating something within the space of culture. Um, and a part of culture is the people. You cannot, you cannot ignore and you cannot deny society outside of that. And the moment that you are only focusing on profit and not people, then that's what sends us into the, the sinkhole of, of like falling into the abyss, which is where we find ourselves in and which is where we see ourselves continuing to go into. I think like, um, COVID sh- should also kind of be a reminder to people to even no matter whatever level you have you you are at or the finances you have, it's a reminder of the importance of planning because mm. you, if you don't plan for the worst, y- you can be swimming along on like uh, great things happening, but then your whole world can just crash or fall apart. I think this should be a kind of lesson to people to plan and decide how they want to move forward and build. Because I think that the way things are, it's really good that we celebrate young people and we always put young people um, at the forefront of innovation and this kind of stuff is really key. But I think if there's not the plan in place or they're not taught the plan to be able to survive things like a pandemic, or I think that it's it's going to be very short-lived. It's very yeah. key because I think th- th- people had never seen what had happened right now and it had only really happened to people during the war or, and it's not the same and it's been many years since we've had something like this so I think from this people should be able to kind of take lessons and even think about what they want to teach people of the future in order to ensure that here's another way how are people going to survive or there should be less rush to kind of go back to the same and more about mm-hmm. changing your thinking into how how to prevent these kind of things from affecting people. Completely. Thank you, guys. And I want to end on a high for both of you because you both are doing great things, minding your business. And that's what we love to see. That's what we love to celebrate and uplift. Saw so your stunning film, Shelter. Oh, yeah. Go along with your autumn, winter 2020 collection, darling. Could you talk about... Could you talk a bit about it for the girls and the gays and the theys? So Shelter is like a collaboration with my partner, FX Gobi, who's a filmmaker. And when we talk to each other about our work, often we have completely different angles of viewing the subjects around my work. But one of the main kind of themes that always runs throughout my work is this, this idea of air or this ability to kind of relieve yourself of the weight or pressures of everything. So for me, dance was this kind of sense of air. And that that was the base or manifesto of how I wanted my clothes to feel. So I guess then it was more this conversation of, you know, how can we create this feeling of lightweightedness? So the music um, 
The music in Shelter is created by LaFonda, who's a collaborator of mine. We've been working together for a few seasons now, and I felt like her music or sound kind of illustrates the, the place from where, in between from where I come from and where I'm going. It's kind of this in-between, and I think it kind of... I think the film we kind of wanted to leave open to interpretation. It was it was about the beauty of lightweightedness and kind of allowing the the viewer to identify themselves within these men falling. Or my sweet Jawara, darling, where will you be showing very soon? Can you can you can you say it for the girls? <laughs> so I will be showing an edit of my final collection at Milan Fashion Week. Milan girls, Milan. <laughs> Milan. <laughs> uh, which is quite exciting, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll be showing an edit of the collection, Milan's Digital Fashion Week, which I think is quite exciting to have that space of how to progress the research that I just did. Um, because to be honest, they, they asked for SS21. And I was like, I just showed uh, what is considered as Osmosis 20. Like, what are you asking? But to be honest, my work is not seasonal. Each, each collection and each project, whether or not it's shown on season, is a project in its own and it's just a progression of what came before. Because I don't think that the, the work that I do and, and the garments that I make are seasonal. I just don't. I've never, I've never approached fashion in that kind of way. So whether or not I'm, I'm showing in season, it's the work that I'm creating is just that project is that project so the edit is basically i'm i'm taking like a small because my collection there was so many different ideas within that that um nine look collection and so much to debunk so much to think about so i decided to edit and have a focused kind of feeling of of how i want to move forward i guess and everything that's going to be shown will be available for purchase um on some platform in some way shape or form but so it'll they'll be available for purchase but only in small quantities because i i don't consider myself a sustainable designer but the way that i move in the world is quite i consider myself a, more of a conscious designer i guess and it's more just about how i can extend the projects that i've just done in a way that is conscious and sustainable and meaningful and in a way that makes sense i think for me it's a lot of the way that i'm moving forward and the way that I'm taking the steps to move towards what happens next for me is about trying to figure out what is honest and what is real and how do I want to progress from from where I just was to where I want to go. Not specifically looking at how other designers have done it, not looking at how other recent graduates have done it, but looking at what is available to me? What matters to me? What do I care about? And how do I see myself moving from here to there? So the opportunity came up and I decided to do an edit. And um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. But I'm doing, outside of, outside of that particular edit, there's so many other things that will, that will happen that hopefully are things that haven't been done before. I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, it's just, it's just really about figuring out different ways to tell the story of, of on one hand, what's happening within the space of, of masculinity, within the space of men 
expressing themselves and how I see that being challenged and how I see that being questioned and how I see an opportunity to move forward from a business perspective as well. Love that. You know, when you're in your own lane, there's no traffic. Last <laughs> question for the kids. If you had to give one piece of advice to the youngins, to the youth, to the gen, I mean, I'm Z, so I don't know. There's no, there's no letter after me, but whoever the next bitch is, what would it be? To stay stay authentic and true to yourself because often there's like a lot of pressure to adhere to to things that might not necessarily fit or align with what you believe in so i think that it takes a lot of strength but you have to maintain uh, what you stand for what you believe in Mm -hmm. but then the second part is like be open and sometimes you can be so fixated on this idea of what you're supposed to be but then if you enable yourself to be open, your journey could kind of take you to places that you never expected that you would would go to. So I think um, staying open is really important. And then also I think to be nice is really important because I just think that if, if you truly focused on what you believe in, then there's no reason to not be nice to other people because, you know, nobody is really your competition. You're, you're your own worst enemy or you know so I just think to be nice to kind of stay true to who you are and to like stay open they're the three things I would advise and for me I I would almost say exactly the same I think the two main advices I would give is for the next generation generation is honesty and flexibility and that's the same advice that I would give to any generation to be honest I think it's extremely extremely important to understand who you are within the space that you're in and within the culture that you're in at that time because every generation exists in a completely different mentality and in a, a completely different way of of existing so i think being honest is is really important and also being flexible is super important because there's always something that you can learn from the generation before you and the generation after you whether or not you think they did they did the right things or the wrong things it really doesn't matter um what matters is that there's something there that you can take from and how you use that information is up to you Um, but there's value in the things that people before you did. And there's also value in the things that, and the way of existing of the people coming up after you. But I'd also love to second what Saul said about being nice. I think it's extremely important to, especially in a digital age where the global world is literally at the tip of a button. Being nice, I think, and, and understanding that your peers are not your competition. I think that is extremely extremely important to not see especially as black people to be honest to not see your peers as competition because you're not we've been taught that there's only so many seats at the table um and that you have to claw as well in fashion that you have to claw over somebody else to get to where you want to be but the internet has taught us that that isn't simply not true that way of existing is so old-fashioned that that there's a space for every single one of us and it it does not hurt to just be a human being to somebody else so i think being honest with yourself being flexible within the space that you're in and being nice i think are the three advices that i would give as well i love that for you guys thank you guys also so much for doing this i am so appreciative i am so grateful i can't wait to see what the girls do they're gonna give it to the kids just quickly where can everyone find you guys on socials you can find me on instagram um, it's saw.nash, S-A-U-L dot Nash. And you can find me on Instagram uh, 
at Jawara Aline. So that's J-A-W-A-R-A-A-L-L-E-Y-N-E. Or you can just check my website, jawara.co.uk. We love that. And you know where to find me at Hey Hey Trey Trey. And thank you guys so much for joining again with OTT. We say again, love and light. And remember, we are still in a pandemic. So stay in your fucking house when you can. Love and light on site. Bye, girls. Bye.